Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and this week we're discussing where science and science advice meets politics. And with me to discuss that is Chi Onwara, Labour Member of Parliament for Newcastle-upon-Tyne Central and Shadow Minister for Science, Research and Digital. Chi Onwara, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, so obviously all governments at different times draw on scientific and research evidence to help inform decisions. How important is it for government to have access to, to the right evidence at the right time? Um, you know, I think it's absolutely critically important and more important, uh, increasingly important, and particularly right now in the midst of a pandemic. You know, it's very visible, if you like, literally visible with the chief scientist and the chief medical officer uh, flanking the prime minister regularly. But it's because the, the important, I think there's two real drivers behind that. Firstly, the importance of science. I mean, in our lives, in our daily lives, the direct connection, I think, has increased. I mean, if you think about not only the pandemic, but but climate change, you know, the technicalization, if you like, of society, the way in which, uh, you know, everybody has in their in their handbags or pockets a device which literally had the power that took people to the moon um you know a few decades ago that the the the, the fact that the, the fact that we are the fact that we are living longer is dependent on science technology and, and medicine so the importance of science to uh the policy decisions that we're making i believe has increased uh and um it'd be good I'd, nice if somebody would do it would, would, would provide the evidence for that in a study perhaps of, 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 of policy versus the scientific input but but and so having access to that adv scientific advice is incredibly important because it's only under by it's only by understanding the implications of the very least of not the underlying science but the implications of the science for society for people for different demographics that the right decisions can be made and so it needs to be informed by the science and obviously the the systems of drawing scientific advice into the policy process have developed over the last 20 years under governments led by both of the main parties including, for example, the, the network of chief scientific advisors in, in different government departments and scientific advisory committees and so on. What are the elements that you think work well in the system that we have in the UK? I think it is still a system that, if you like, is under development. And I think that the, the pandemic has sort of highlighted some of the the, the strengths as well as the weaknesses. So I think that having chief scientific officers for every department is has been very very important. You know, and, you know, it's take took some time to get them in place and get that ensure that they're uh, recruited and then re-recruited on a regu regular basis. Um, but so that that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a real strength. And uh, the, also the scrutiny by the science and tech, you know, the science uh, select committee and by the Lords committees, those are, those are really important as well as giving voice to uh, issues and concerns around scientific, um, scientific decisions. Um, I think what is, there's still, I think, an issue and, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not very much inclined to agree with Dominic Cummings on anything, if you like, but I do think there is an issue still with this, with a civil service which um, which is driven by generalism, uh, providing specific 
technical advice. I mean, that's one of the reasons why this, the chief scientific officers have been put have been put in place. But I think there are still challenges challenges there. And I think a, 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 a departmental structures that mean that civil servants move on regularly uh, means that developing the understanding of very you know specific. Area and, and, and overseeing and sort of managing the development of policy in particular areas uh, is challenging. And um, I also think that it can be um, very centralised around Whitehall as a consequence of it being sort of through site, chief scientific advisors and civil servants. And so having that kind of scientific advice also reflecting and feeding into regional policy development is challenging. So what's the solution to this particular problem of civil service generalism and people moving on it's clearly been around for a long time is it uh, a cadre of more scientific civil service which was an idea in the 60s and has sort of come and gone a few times since then how do we how do we tackle this so that the civil servants do have the right skills uh, and yes. the right scientific knowledge well, I think uh, I think you know, the starting point is uh, is valuing science and valuing scientific advice, and also, if you like, transparency and the, the data, the statistics, those the, the number of civil servants with a scientific background, how they're recruited, and how the, how they move move through uh, departments. I think um, being able to rise through the civil service to a position of respect and, you know, uh, as a role model that, you know, whilst remaining a scientist um, is important. And I'm not, I don't think we're there yet. We obviously have the chief scientific advisors, but in terms of officers, but in terms of um, having, having a, a career path, it doesn't have to be a separate parallel structure, but a career path for scientists. We're, we are, we're not, we are not there yet, there yet, and just generally recruiting more scientists uh, into the, the into the civil service and um, and show and and tracking how they are promoted and moved around so that it reflects this, the same kind of a success rate as we have for people with humanities backgrounds. I think that's also very important. And also I would like to see, you know, so that people moving in and out between the scientific community and academia and industry and into the civil service and back again and sharing those, um, you know, the, those skills and talents. So I was going to ask you a little bit about that because as well as the issue of civil service having the right skills to um, speak about science, understand it and ask the right questions from scientists. One of the other issues is potentially do scientists have the right skills to understand policymakers and the policymaking process? Is that something that we need to build in more into scientific education, for example? Um, absolutely, and that's why. Um, you know, so, in my background is as is an, as an engineer, a chartered engineer, which obviously is not a scientist, but let me tell you, um, has has enough of a scientific and evidence based background um, to uh, to 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 feel very sort of personally actually and understand some of the some of these challenges. And I think you know two things always strike me is that that the the attitude of so many of my uh, scientific and engineering colleagues when I announced that I was standing to be a politician and it was mainly um, how could you go into such a dis disreputable profession when you're doing something important now. Uh, and uh, I think that that I think things have improved with that but the lack of the lack of recognition 
of the importance of uh, of policy and of politics. I think this, this idea that science is above politics because it is based on fundamental uh, scientific truths, which is you know which is true, which is important. But the way in which science develops, and particularly the way in which it impacts society and people, is all about politics and policy making. And so um, having um, you know, having a respecting, having respect for politicians and policymakers, I think is something that, that all sci scientists uh, should have. And then under, and, and what follows from that is understanding that the communication, you know, needs to reflect the roles that policymakers have, as well as the science. So I think often, you know, often, you know, it's if you put forward an equation and the equation has a result, then that should be the, the outcome. However, that is not how it works in, that's not how it works in policy and politics. And it's not how it should work because in a democracy, people have a right to understand and to have a say in the policies that are being, make it, are being made. Unless scientists uh, can explain the, the, communicate that, then, um, then, then you know, sort of like the dem democratic process isn't working, and I think we've seen. I actually, you know, I think we've seen that in the pandemic, and I think, you know, it's really important that scientists uh, reflect that. I always say, you know, scientists, you know, scientists have a lot of trust from the public, but they often have too little trust in the public. So I guess I'll put the same question to you as I did for for the civil service. What what's the solution? How do we go about trying to improve the knowledge that scientists have and the uh, skills that they have? Yeah, I think so. That that's a this is a really excellent good question, and I would like to see you know that science uh, you know degrees and um, and um, higher degrees you know have some element of scientific uh, communication you know and there's a lot of debate about uh, you know ref and uh, kef and all all the other measures we have at the moment for scientific impact but I think part of the you know the training of a scientist. Um, significant portion of that is from public money, mm. and uh, part of how that public money uh, should be should be used is in, in in equipping and enabling scientists to communicate the benefits of that scientific training to the wider world. So I would like to see that. I would I think we're seeing more scientists speaking up and speaking speaking out, and I think that's really important as well, and, and more opportunities, you know, with, with within within the media and more debates about policy and uh, from, from the uh, scientific institutions, such as the foundation, such as the Royal Society, such as the, the Royal Academy of Engineering, having more, you know, leading an institution of engineering technology, which is my uh, learned body, uh, leading and having debates and uh, popularization. Just, I, I was, was stood in the queue for a Royal Society debate on AI that went sort of round three blocks in um, um, in the, in the centre of London with a lot of young people there as well, and that is the kind of um, sort of event that both popularises science but also gives science uh, the opportunity to speak to speak you know yeah. effectively to people. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, at the beginning of uh, this interview, you mentioned the the, the current COVID pandemic uh, as a massive importance of science in there and it's put a big focus on scientific evidence like never before really um, and there's a lot of attention being devoted to the scientific advisory group for emergencies sage 
How well do you think SAGE has operated in supporting the government in this really uniquely difficult time? Uh, yeah, Gavin, that is again a really excellent question. And I think there's going to be, there are undoubtedly going to be a governmental investigation or review um, which will take which will take evidence to um, assess that. What I would say, I think two really important things, that, like the advice should have been published from the start. I mean, I was, I, I can't remember when I first called for the advice of SAGE to be published, but it was some time before it was actually published and shared. Um, so that, be, you know, given the importance of, of, of what was being advised upon and the, and the outcomes, People had a right to know how those decisions were being made. And I think by not doing that, um, it led to, if you like, the second point I want to make is the sort of politicalization of that advice, which I don't, which I think is really destructive for science as well as for, as for politics. So to have, you know, ministers effectively using uh, science, you know, like the, like the lamppost and the joke uh, to, to lean on as opposed to for illumination, which is what was happening, you know, hiding behind, we're following the scientific advice, that advice wasn't published, so nobody could ju judge how effectively they were following it. You know, that, that, that I think was destructive of uh, trust in science and scientists and it also led to science being blamed for decisions in a way that we cannot assess sort of the in, in which it should in which it shouldn't be so i think we've had a lot we've learned hopefully we've learned a lot from that in terms of how we go forward so now that the advice is being published do you think that there is clarity between the advice that's given and the decisions that government then need to take from that advice. Um, yeah, I think there's better. I think there's more clarity, but it is also, you know, because the science, the the we require a better understanding of science and how science works to make that judgment. And I think we do have popularly. So the way science works is that you know this is the idea that there's one truth, like uh, as uh, Newton discovered about gravity, which only lasted until you know Einstein uh, discovered, uh, not discovered, but 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 uh, but worked uh, you know took for, took science forward. And that is how science and that is how science works. So there isn't one science. I don't you know I also don't like journalists talking about the science has changed. Science doesn't change, but it, it does understanding evolves. And so I think that, you know, that the way in which the sci scientists talk about science and the science of communication, rather than saying, and I, and I got very angry about, you know, talk, when we were talking about the R rate, the, reprodu the reproduction rate, as in saying that it was the highest in the country in the Northeast, when the evidence on which that was based was coming from all different parameters, which were standing in for things that we couldn't measure because we didn't have test and trace um, in place yet. So, so we need to talk about science in a more, uh, in, in a way which reflects that there's different, uh, that, that science, there's different views, which then sort of coalesce into a better understanding. Um, and I also think that we need to have um, more, you know, more, more scientific debate and other voices. So I think that the, um, that the unofficial sage or the independent sage, as it's called, I think that's actually, that's useful, good as well, because it shows that there are different, different voices and that we can make risk assessments, understanding that that is what's being done on our behalf. Um, the other thing actually I do, what I want to say, which I should have probably said earlier, is that in terms of when we talk about science communicating with people effectively, 
Um, it helps if science reflects people and reflects the diversity of our population. And when people see scientists as not, you know, the, the, it's generally, you know, the, the, the lack of diversity in science, that doesn't help people, that doesn't help for, to, for, for effective communication. Hmm. No, I understand that. Um, you mentioned independent SAGE, and certainly there's, some people are saying it was hugely helpful when it was set up a few months ago because SAGE itself was uh, not publishing its advice and so on. Now that SAGE is publishing its advice, now the members of SAGE are more open, is there a continuing role for the independent SAGE group or do you think it had its moment and, and it's now passing? And so as I think, I think both. I mean, I think it had it, it had a really important role, uh, and it was incredibly useful to have that uh, that perspective. Um, and now that we're seeing, as you say, now we're seeing the advice published, um, there is less need for it. But at the same time, the scientists who have you like been chosen to be part, you know, there's a debate about having more uh, humanities scientists as part of the um, the actual set. The, the scientists that have been chosen to be part of Sage, that in itself is a is a is a as decisions made on the basis of of, of politics and also prioritization which is a function of, of if you like politics so i think having an independent sage and and, and, a, and a, you know it is like peer review it's peer review and we always you know that that in itself is a good thing so sage has obviously been around for a long time and yet it's only been the pandemic that has uh, put some of these issues into the fore uh, like the fact that we've not had the members of SAGE uh, available or that we they've not traditionally published their scientific advice. Is this something that should have always happened in the past or is it the unique nature of the pandemic? I guess the question would then be the next time there's something not as serious as the pandemic but nonetheless where SAGE is operating are we expecting it to be as open as it is now? But I think the answer to that has to be yes. And I also think that whilst the pandemic is, I mean, unprecedented times, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it is something that has you know, driven sort of science center stage. You know, when I, um, when I first was, was elected, I sort of went through a period of, um, of almost of grieving for the end of my engineering and scientific career, you know, and the transition from a, from a, from that for, into, into politics. But actually, you know, I have had to, I have used, or had to use my engineering and scientific background much more than I anticipated. Indeed, not not only as you know, shadow minister for science, but in so many of the decisions and the challenges that we are facing. And I, one of the things I think is that is that the scientific advice and input should be more visible generally but also that we need you know as, as a member of parliament this goes back to you know what the scientists need to do well as a member of the civil servants there's also members of parliament um we get like you know half a day's induction i think is what we get now i think there should be some kind there should be some training opportunity you know for M members of parliament to um to work with scientists and understand better 
that what how science scientific advice and how important it is and how it works and to have those relationships and connections just as so many mps have connections either with the national health service or with uh, business etc to have those relationships and connections with with scientists so that there is a more um a more sort of natural and informal routes for support as well as better visible formal formal routes for for scientific advice and obviously the royal society pairing scheme already exists as a, a small contribution to that where individual mps can pair up with scientists. And there is some of the work from the Parliamentary Office for Science and Technology, which could also feed into that. Um, but I think from what you're saying that, that there is more that could be done and should be done to help MPs understand a little bit more the, the, the scientific basis of the policy decisions they're thinking about. Yeah, no, and, and it's really right to mention, uh, you know, the, um, the, the, the pairing scheme and also there's the Parliamentary Science Links Day. And there are, um, yeah, there are sort of opportunities if you go and seek them out. I'm speaking as an MP here, you know, uh, but I, I would say two things, you know, they, they tend to be that because they're not sort of necessarily sort of structured as training, they tend to be, you know, I, I spent a day in a local bioscience lab, which was great. But it was, you know, it was really interesting, and, and it was it was local in my constituency, so I really appreciated that. But that's not quite the same as understanding the way in which you know science, um, you know, evolves, and the way in which the advice comes into comes into parliament, comes into parliament, and comes to ministers, for example, and how to engage and how to get your own scientific advice if that's what you that's what you want so i think it'd be great to have something which was an opportunity there for 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 mps just as there are opportunities as in for business and the armed services etc for, for mps to to work with those groups brilliant one final question how do you think we can improve the way science meets politics over the next couple of years learning from the pandemic and other things I think we certainly and you know and perhaps some of the some of the ways in which it could it, we could do that would be to have um, a, a parliamentary debates on it like on a scientific uh, subject we've been talking about the pandemic so much you know and uh, and uh, but have parliamentary debates on a scientific subject every few weeks uh, to have um, you know the 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 a kind of scientific um, um, advice or note in the same way that we have an equalities note for new legislation you know i think we need i think as a, you know we need to ensure that um hopefully as the pandemic sub subsides uh the role of science and scientific advice is still very visible and the way in which it is communicated and the way in which it is understood has improved as a consequence of this fantastic <laughs> thank you very much Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week I was in conversation with Chi Onwura, Labour Member of Parliament for Newcastle-upon-Tyne Central and Shadow Minister for Science, Research and Digital. You can find full details of the work of the Foundation along with all previous episodes of the podcast on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. The next event of the Foundation is a webinar on the 15th of July at 6pm entitled Science and Politics, How to Bring Them Together and Keep Them Apart. And you can register for that on the website.